are to be gathered together with God's people. Some, some of us in here this week, we've had a hard week. Life has kind of beat us up. Jobs kind of beat us up. People kind of beat us up. We kind of beat ourselves up, right? And at some point in the week, Satan may have even told you that you weren't going to make it to this Sunday. And Satan may have even tempted you to give up and to quit on life or to quit on God. I just want you to look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, but I made it. Look at somebody else and say, neighbor, by God's grace, I'm here. By God's grace, I'm here. And what a God we serve, that we can, we can worship before him, we can come together and sing, and we can praise Jesus, our great high priest. The song said that we love him because he hears our every groan, our every moan, our every beckoning call. We have a, a high priest that is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. That is the God that we come together today to worship. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we come to you knowing that you are God and you are God alone and that there is none like you, that you care and that you love us more than we can ever imagine. Even though we are more sinful than, than we can ever, ever ponder. So Father God, we thank you that you allow us to, to come before your presence with singing, to enter into your courts with thanksgiving. In spite of the weak, in spite of our issues, in spite of our failures, we are fully accepted by you and deeply loved by you. And I pray today for that person who's sitting in the pew whose heart is withdrawn or whose heart is cold, who's here out of habit, who's here out of, out of, out, out of just normal routine. I pray, Father God, that you would awaken their heart, awaken all of our hearts, wherever our hearts are, Lord, don't leave it there. Take us to another place in you. Show us today, Father God, areas of in our lives where we're not trusting you, where we're not resting in you, fully relying upon you, where we are living in human strength. And then bathe us with your grace and allow us to be amazed at it. I pray, Father God, that today that you, that you would reign through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to Forest Baptist Church. If you are visiting with us for the first time, first time we say howdy, what's up, what's going on, what's cracking. Uh, we pray that uh, your heart will be enriched by today's worship service. And, and we're going to kind of just go ahead and, and dig in God's word. Uh, this year we have a theme as a church, and that theme simply is living in all of God. If you look in the back, you'll see that on uh, on, on, against the wall, living in all of God. And basically what we're saying by that theme is, is that we believe that God has called us not just to live, but to live in all of him. To understand and to appreciate just how awesome and how magnificent he is. To get our eyes off of us and off of other people and to put our eyes on God. Because we believe that God is awesome. We believe that he's amazing. Because the Bible says that he is. So that's, that's where we're going this year, and that's where most of our preaching will be centered around. Well, to, uh, last week we started a new series that was uh, pretty much entitled The Trinity. And for the next uh, few weeks, we'll be, we'll be diving into the Trinity, because in order to, to live in all of God, we've got to know who God is. Um, and, and not just what he does, but who he is intrinsically. Um, a lot of times when we flip out or we go crazy or we're off balance in our life, it's because we've lost sight 
of the intrinsic worth of God. We've lost sight of how magnificent he is in and of himself. So we want to put the lens back on him. And we want to be excited about him. Now, last week, everybody was super excited about University of Louisville being ranked number one. And that just permeated. That just, that, we were just breathing that. And I say we. I'm a University of Louisville fan now. Amen. I, I've been converted. Amen. You know, state might still have them a little bit, but I'm up there, all right? And everywhere you went, people were just talking about UofL, talking about basketball, talking about the Sugar Bowl. Because it was awesome what happened, and because those teams was awesome. Well, we want to we see that God is, is, is a trillion times more awesome. And if we really believe that, we don't have to be pumped and primed to worship. If we really believe that, and when we really see who he is, we don't have to be pumped and primed to come to church or to open up our Bibles. When we understand that he's a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of love, a God that transcends. Anything, any, anything we could ever ask or imagine, then it just, it just comes from us naturally. So that's the goal this year as, as me and the other pastors are preaching that, that by God's grace, God will capture us and give us a vision of him and we can say, man, God is dope. God is awesome. Well, people will, will know that as they see us live. So we talked about the Trinity we put up a picture last week as we started. We're going to kind of review the Trinity and review what we talked about last week. Uh, we actually put up a picture of the Milky Way galaxy last week. And we, we kind of started off just by looking at this galaxy. Now, astro astronomers say that there are over 100 billion galaxies estimated. 100 billion. And this is where we are in our galaxies. Hence the arrow that says we are here. And what we talked about was how uh, the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is 74.2 trillion times bigger than planet Earth. 74.2 trillion times bigger than planet Earth. And to put it in perspective, they say if you take a grain of salt and, and place it in your hand or place it on the floor and you travel 5.1 million miles, that's how big the galaxy is and compares to Earth. That is amazing. And it's God who controls the galaxies. It's God who created the heavens and the Earth. It's God who, who, who has created all this beauty that surrounds us. It's the same God who, who loves us. The same God who invites us to dance with him, who invites us into a deep relationship with him. He's just amazing. Not only does he control the galaxies, but he, he's the same God who controls every flower and allows it to bud and to grow and to blossom. Same God who made you with a, a very unique strand of DNA. He's awesome. So then we talked about the Trinity. And it's how the Trinity is just a, it is, is a, it is an important doctrine to Christianity. To be a Christian, in essence, means to believe in a Trinitarian God. It's one of the things that, that sets us apart from all other religions. The fact that we serve a triune God. And, and we looked at what that means. And Brother Kevin can put that picture back up. We had three affirmations. What's affirmation number one? Uh, we sounded real weak on that one. Amen. Affirmation number one was? We're talking about an awesome God. Affirmation number one is? 
There is one God. And that's what this picture shows us, just like that triangle. It's, it's one God. Affirmation number two. Affirmation number two, God is three persons, amen, three persons, there's Father, there's Son, and there's Spirit, so there's one God, but God is in three persons, affirmation number three, let's shout it, each person is, each person is fully God, so God the Son is fully God. God the Spirit is fully God. God the Father is fully God. They all share the same character, the same attributes, the same essence. They're made up of the same good stuff. They're all omniscient, means all-knowing. They're all all all-powerful. They're all all that, amen? So there is one God. God is in three persons. Each person is fully God. God the Son is not the Father. God the Father is not the Spirit. God the Spirit is not the Son meaning that they're unique persons of themselves, but yet there's one God. You're like, man, that is mind-boggling. That's unreasonable. It's not that it's, it's, not that it's ir- illogical. We said last week, it's above logic. It's above reason. Augustine said, to deny the Trinity, you lose your soul. If you deny the Trinity, you lose your soul. If you teach the Trinity, you lose your mind. But aren't you glad that we don't serve a God that we can figure everything out about him? A God that's transcendent? A God that we have to study for millions and millions and millions of years that we can be in fellowship with and always be surprised and always be at all? That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. So when we talk about the Trinity, this is a a, a picture that, that fails to communicate just, just how amazing God is and who he is, but this is a picture that hopefully helps to explain it a little bit when we talk about this triune God. And we talked about how when we worship this triune God uh, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's the only time that we, we worship correctly. Other religions worship one God. Islam say that they worship one God, but their God is not in three persons. It's not the God of the Bible. And therefore, the Bible says that they are worshiping a demon. Meaning that any time we worship anything or anyone outside of God, it is demonic. It is demonic. So that's what we want to build on today. We want to build on this truth. There is one God. God is in three persons. Each person is fully God. Each person is fully God. Today we want to talk about this deep connection, how we were created for a deep connection. And we want to look at this, this trinity and how God calls us to interact with this trinity and also to interact with his people. A professor of psychology um, at the University of Chicago wrote a book about loneliness, and it was entitled Human Nature and the Need for Social Connection. Human Nature and the Need for Social Connection. And in an interview that I, I recently read about the book, he says this, we understand as a culture what loneliness is. We have conceptualized it as a personality kind of weakness, perhaps neuroticism or perhaps depression, and a research study suggested that it's not any of those. In fact, we are all capable of feeling lonely. Loneliness is very much like hunger, thirst, and pain. It's an adverse signal that alerts us 
to something going wrong that's important to our survival. And he goes on to explain how, how research shows that those who are rejecting community and those who choose to live isolated lives often suffer from deep physiological and adverse effects. In fact, it's proven that those who are isolated and who, who live lives outside of community are, are also proven to, to die at an earlier age. To die at an earlier age. And as I begin to research and look at all kinds of studies done by Harvard and Yale and, and MIT on, on, on loneliness, it, it became very apparent that, that recent statistics show that as, as Americans, we are extremely lonely. In fact, even though we're more connected through social networks and, and things like that, that we are lonelier than ever. Ten years ago, surveys was done to see how the, uh, the average American was and, uh, as, it, as it relates to community and loneliness, and the average American was lonely then, but it has even increased and got deeper since then. In fact, we don't even have to look at statistics to see that we're lonely. If we keep it real, all we have to do is, is look at our, our daily lives. Most of us, we can't go 10 minutes without looking at our cell phone. Right? Because we're, we're, we're looking to fill this, this, this void in our heart. We're looking for a deep connection. So nobody's called, nobody's texting, but this is us. Five minutes later, we're doing the same thing. Then we start going back through our old text messages, right? reading old text messages or, or flipping through our, our phones. Some of us, we're just like addicted to social media. We're addicted to Twitter, we're addicted to Instagram, and we're addicted to Facebook. That's why social media is working so much, because, because they've got it right. We, we have a deep need for connection. We have a deep need for relationships. We want to be in community with people. And social networking appears to, to be that community. We want to share our lives with people. We want to be seen. We want to be known. So we constantly stay connected. We constantly phone in, so to speak. There was a movie made about uh, Facebook uh, a couple years ago. And Facebook's creator named Mark uh, Zuckerberg. And it was a, a, a really interesting movie showing how it was created. It was based upon true events. Uh, admittedly, uh, the creators of the movie said that they probably didn't do as, as accurate as a job with uh, Mark Zuckerberg as they could have. But the whole point was to, that they were trying to press was, was how it came about and also just to, to kind of expose this, this deep need in our hearts for community and, and social relationships. I love how the movie ended. At the end of the movie, this guy who created a Facebook is, is glaring at his computer. You see the computer light on him. And he goes and he uh, chooses to, to befriend his ex-girlfriend. So he clicks to befriend her, and it's just this moment where he's just waiting on her to reply to his, friend, to his, to his invitation. He's saying, be my friend. And he's just waiting by the screen. The screen is glaring on him, and all of a sudden he gets anxious as he's waiting, and he begins to click profusely because he wants to be accepted by her, because he wants her to cherish him. And that's really a good picture when we think about social networking and when we think about the human condition, we just want to be accepted. We want to be appreciated. We want to be loved. We want to be in, in, in a community that's, that's trustworthy. 
We want to be in a community where, where people uh, love us and, and think good thoughts about us. We want to be in a community where we can be transparent. In a community where, where people pour themselves out for each other. Where people are living for the benefit of humanity. And the benefit to really benefit us. God has created us that way. And it's not a mistake that, that we're lonely. It's not a mistake that you're lonely. It's not a mistake that you're constantly looking for connection and constantly asking yourself, is something wrong with me? Why don't I have more friends? God has created us with this longing, the Bible says. And the triune God who has created us for this lonely, this, this, with this longing de desires for us to be connected to him and to his bride, to his people in a way that the world cannot know, and in a way that draws the world to himself. So today I want to challenge us to live life in the way that God created us to live it. To live life in a deep community with him and with other people, mainly his body. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says these words. That God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And after our likeness. So this is a Trinitarian statement. Already God is, is talking in, in plurality in Genesis. He says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And now there's a big debate, debate about what does it mean to be created in the image of God? And, and people go all kind of different ways and argue and write. And, and I, I think that it means a number of things. But one of the things that it means is that, that we are created for deep connection. To be created in the image of God means that we accept the fact that we were created to be in deep relationships. That we are a relational people. A relational people. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created male and female, he created them. So right before Genesis chapter 2, when, when God narrows in on creation, we see that God is affirming the fact that we are created in his image to be relational, because he, before Adam really gets all into God making Adam and Eve, he says he created them in my image. In other words, he created them to be connected with each other. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we read, It is not good that a man should be alone. The Bible says, I will make him a helper fit for him. All throughout the Genesis narrative, we see as God is creating the heavens and the earth, after he creates things, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. But the one thing he says in Genesis that's not good is for a man to be alone. Why? Because we are created in the image of a triune God. God the Father is called God the Father because he has a son. God the Son is called God the Son because he has a father. We are defined by our relationships and we are created for our relationships. We are created for deep, deep connection and deep community. Social networking isn't going to fulfill that connection. Shallow relationships with co-workers who don't know Jesus isn't going to fulfill that connection, 
fulfill that longing for connection. Shallow relationships with our church family and our church members isn't going to fulfill the longing that we have in our heart for connection. The only thing that's going to fulfill that longing in our heart is us being in, in a deep communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And us being in deep relationships with each other. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Very familiar passage. The Bible says, John starts off, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know as the chapter unfolds that John is, is using this language and, 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 and using that title word, uh, that, that title word, it, it goes or relates to Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Because in verse 14, it tells us how Jesus became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the word, when we look at this, this sentence, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. In the Greek, that literally means... Uh, it's, a, it's a phrase that was often used to say that someone was with someone, that they were face to face. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, or Jesus, was face to face with God the Father. Was face to face. Meaning that they, that they were in deep relationship in eternity's past. That they weren't in a shallow relationship, but they were in a deep relationship. Just how Adam and Eve was in a deep relationship in the beginning. And how they were walking and dancing and living with each other, but they also was walking and dancing and living with God. We read that after Eve was created, that, that Adam writes the first poem of the Bible when he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. They were in love. They were transparent. They were naked. They were sharing life together and living life the way that life is meant to be lived. They were experiencing relationship and community in the same way that you long for that relationship and community with your spouse or with your friends. But even better, because there was complete wholeness and complete transparency. And what separated them? Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 through 13, they were living in community the way that they were supposed to be living in community, experiencing God and experiencing life the way that they were supposed to experience life and were supposed to experience God. And then we read these words. After Eve was tempted by Satan and Adam fell into the temptation as well, then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that wasn't anything that was abnormal. They were used to hearing the sound of God walking in the cool of the day. And they were walking with God in the cool of the day. That was life for them, but something has changed. Something has changed. But the Lord called to the man and said, We'll go up a little bit, walking in the cool of day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, 
the woman whom you gave to be with me. Why well, I was like, yeah. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Mm-hmm. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So God created us in his image with a longing for community. And we had that. We had that with God and we had that with each other. Adam and Eve did. But they chose to become gods in their own eyes. They chose to say, you know what, we can live life outside of God's community and, and we can live life on our own terms. And that's sin. And the Bible teaches us that sin brings sadness, sorrow, and separation. That whenever there's coldness between people, and whenever there's coldness in our hearts towards God, it is probably because we are not living life in a way that God has intended, that we have, have fallen astray and begin to do things our way. And that's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. And we see that this relationship that they had with the triune God, they changed it. And, and they exchanged it for a, a relationship with each other and with Satan. So where there was this, this relationship with the Trinity, there's now a relationship between these three, Adam, Eve, and Satan. And whenever we have relationships where God is not in the center, where God is not in the midst, it's just a matter of time before things break down. It's just a matter of time before we begin to look like them. Became extremely selfish, Adam goes, I heard of the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. It was all about Adam at that point. And then Adam turned on Eve and said, but the woman you gave me. And then Eve's like, hold on, it ain't my fault, it's the serpent's fault. And everybody's pointing fingers at each other saying, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. That's the nature of sin. So even as we reflect on our marriages and our relationships with people, <laughs> we've got to look and say, if I'm going to bed at night with my spouse and our backs are all are turned to it, torn towards each other and we're cold, there's probably some sin in the midst. There's a connection problem. We weren't created to, to commune like this with each other. If I'm hiding from someone or intentionally walking past the water cooler when my coworker is walking past and looking the other way, look at somebody say, there's some connection problems. It's probably sin. It is sin <laughs> to be unloving. God did not create us that way. He did not create us to be in those relationships. Sin made us that way. But God did something about it. He says, I'm not going to leave you in your misery. I love you too much. I'm not going to leave humanity in relationships that are not transparent, in relationships where it's just filled with selflessness, in relationships that are, are bitter and cold. He says, no, I want to draw you back into relationship with me and back into relationship with each other in a way that inspires, in a way that's selfless, in a way that's transparent, in a way, in a way that makes us look more like him and that draws other people to him. And essentially, that's the gospel. The Bible says, as I said in John chapter 1, verse 14, that God the Father sent God the Son. That God the Son became flesh. He put on human clothes in order to fix our connection problem. Jesus showed us how life was meant to be lived. 
He lived in community with the disciples. He lived selflessly. The God of this world came not to be served, but to serve. The God of this world came to wash his disciples' feet. The God of this world stepped into our mess, stepped into our issues, stepped into our pain, stepped into our hurts, stepped into our fears, and said, Lo, look at me, I am with you. Then he died in our place. He died for those nights that I'm cold and, and hard towards my wife and vice versa. He died for those times where I'm irritated and sinfully angry ang uh, and have sinful anger towards my kids. He died for those times where there's malice in my heart or, or bitterness in my heart. He died for me and he died for you. And not only did he die for us in our, for our weakness and when we are in our weakness, but he said, I won't remember it anymore and I won't hold it against you. I said last week, the church fathers used to call it a, a perichoretic relationship that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had with each other. And what that basically describes is the picture we put up earlier that they, for all eternity, have been in a, in a dance together. That they have been in a very interpersonal relationship with each other and that they have been getting along with no beef. And we see this in the scriptures. We see this throughout the scriptures. When Jesus becomes man, we see how they, we kind of get a glimpse into how they've related with each other for all eternity. God the Father is constantly bragging and boasting on his son. Every major event in Jesus' life, God the Father is showing up, having angels show up. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Every opportunity that Jesus gets, he's talking to religious leaders. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about the Father. It's like, man, I've come to do the will of my Father because my Father loves me. And then when God the Father and God the, the Son send forth the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and he's like, yo, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. They have been in this selfless, transparent, whole relationship for all eternity, and to this day they still are. So when we receive an invitation to follow Christ, to be with Christ, God says, I am inviting you into this community. I know your family's jacked up. I know your relationships at home is, is twisted. I know you've got some, some beef with people. But I want to invite you into this relationship, even though you don't deserve to be here. I want to adopt you into this family, and I want to change you, and I want to rearrange you, and I want to remake you, and I want you to be my clay, and I'm going to be your potter, and I'm going to, I'm going to put stuff in order into your life so that you can go back and step into those relationships and bring light and redemption. Romans chapter 5, 5, that's exactly what the scripture said. Romans 5, 5 says, picking up in the middle of an argument by Paul, but he says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God the Father sends God the Son, and when we look to God the Son by faith and we believe in what he has done for us on the cross, we become a part of his family. 
And the Holy Spirit is the one who shapes our heart and makes our heart able to receive God the Son. But when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that God pours out his love into our hearts. So to be a Christian is to, is to have God's love fill our hearts. Where I once was a racist, where I once was a constant gossiper and nagger, where I once was super pessimistic because of God's love, I am being transformed to be the opposite. I may go back sometimes in that old carnal nature because that old man hadn't moved out, he just moved over. But I'm learning to live in the Spirit more and more as the Holy Spirit is making me look more like Jesus. And what's the mark? What does he pour into our heart? Does he pour into our heart knowledge? No. Does he pour into our heart gifts? No. He pours into our heart love. Why? Because 1 John tells us that God is love. That God is love. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these things are love. God pours that into our heart. And after he pours that into our heart, the Holy Spirit does something else. The Holy Spirit begins to draw us towards true community together. When we become saved, we are no longer isolated individuals. We are saved into something. We are saved into the body of Christ. Meaning that we are, we are in Christ. Just like a person who is in an airplane is in an airplane, we are now in Christ. And through Christ, we can do things that we are not normally able to do outside of Christ. Just like I can't fly off Forest Baptist roof on my own. Right? I'm about to fly and I jump off the roof. You're like, no, you're about to fall and hurt yourself. But if I'm in a plane, I tell you I'm about to fly. You say, you, okay, you can fly. Why? Because you're in Christ. I'm in an airplane. Same way with being in Christ. So God saves us and we now are a part of a body. A part of a body. We're no longer just individuals. And that's, that's really Western society and Western culture. Like, I'm an individual. I'm going to do me, you're going to do you. You don't have a right to judge me. You don't have a right to be in my life. You don't have a right to tell me how to live my life. My life is my life. But when we come to Christ, and when we say, Jesus, I will follow you, we're not giving up the right to be an individual as to be different and to have our personality. But we are giving up the right to be isolated. We're giving up the right to be isolated. When Jesus came to the disciples and he said, yo, follow me, he wasn't just inviting them to, to follow him by themselves. He was inviting them to follow him in community. And over the next three years, the disciples lived in a deep relationship with Jesus and with each other. With each other. See, our church, our relationship as the body of Christ with each other is to be modeled off of God's relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what God desires. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Very familiar passage to some. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. This is right after Pentecost. This is right after Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit poured himself out into the church and filled everyone's heart with love. And the Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and 
the prayers. Next verse. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were together. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So when God saves us, he saves us into this relationship with this triune God. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks before we're going to look at the Father, look at the Son, look at the Holy Spirit and see how we commune with each of them deeply. But not only does he save us into a relationship with himself, with the triune God, but he saves us into a relationship with the church, into a relationship with each other. See, Western culture has really tainted the way we read scriptures. And Western culture says that it's all about being you and doing you and being, being, being by yourself and you can be isolated. But that's not what, what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. To be a member of the body of Christ means that we are in relationship with each other. The early church got it right away. As soon as they were saved, they began to gather together, the Bible says, daily. They began to not just gather together and watch their favorite TV shows or do whatever they wanted to do, but they gathered together with God in the center of their meetings. The Bible says that they broke bread that they prayed, they shared their belongings. That's what it means to fellowship. That word fellowship, when we see it throughout the scriptures, is often connected to words such as participate, or to share, or to have things in common. So when we talk about our need for community, we've got to understand that God has, has essentially said, I will satisfy your need as you come into community with me but also as you come into community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. God is drawing us together. I believe that the church in the Western world, that the reason why we aren't seeing people come to the Lord in droves is because we have adopted the world's mindset when it comes to relationships. Like in the world, it's like, no, you don't, on your job, you don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about your weaknesses. When you step out the, the house, you, you put on that good front, and, and you make sure your clothes are ironed, make sure you look nice. You fake it until you make it. And if you met, never make it, you just keep faking it. Right? You don't, you don't go deep with people. When, when someone asks you, how are you doing, you don't tell the truth. You say, I'm doing great. I'm blessed and highly favored. But behind this dressing and behind these clothes and behind this facade is brokenness, is loneliness, is coldness. Some of you are living in, in hell at home. And, and, both, and you're sitting next to your spouse every Sunday and the only people who know that is you and them. And you've given up on God being able to redeem your family and redeem your relationship. But you're too proud to share with someone what you're going through. God's like, life 
It's not meant to be that way. I haven't created you to hide. We're hiding just like Adam and Eve in the garden from each other and from God. God's like, no, you don't have to do that. Come here. Let me cover you. Let me, let me, let me make you a part of a new community, a new humanity who does things different than the world does. Let me transform the way that you think about life. Let me, let me tell you that there's a group of people that I'm doing something great in their lives too, and they're just as messy as you, and you need them and they need you. God uses us as individuals to grow each other, to look more like Jesus. And some of us, we've been in the same pit, in the same hole, with the same sins and the same issues for 15 and 20 years. We've got the same devotion, the same scripture readings every morning. And we haven't grown deeper in the faith. And I believe the reason we haven't grown deeper in our faith is because we're not Number one, communing with God in the way that he attends, but we're not communing in deep relationships in the way that he created us to be. We need fellowship for encouragement and for edification. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12 through 15. Fascinating, fascinating chapter. Just been digging this chapter for some time, but I'm just going to take from this verse. The early church met together. They were in each other's lives. They understood that God used each the other person, their church members, as instruments in his hands to help each other to look more like Jesus. Take care, my brothers. Least there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Look at this. Take care, brothers. But least there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Next verse. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share fellowship, we, we fellowship in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So God is saying, look, some of you need to, need to take care. Some of you need to be, be aware because your heart has drifted away from me. Your heart is cold towards me. You're not, you're not hot. You're not, you're not burning with a desire to know me and to make me known. And when we get like that, when we sin, when we fall short and we all do what's happening is that there's something in our heart that we have chosen to believe. There's a lie that we've chosen to believe about God. Just like Eve chose to believe a lie about God in the garden, we do that every day. And we go astray from God. And we begin to believe that God really doesn't love me or God really doesn't care about me. We look at our trials and our tribulation and we look at the fact that maybe we have a a terminal illness or illness or someone in our family is sick and we say, you know what, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care about me, and that begins to affect every single area of our life. It begins to affect how we relate to one another. It begins to reflect how we worship God. And we begin to drift away. Just like if you were to get in the ocean. You go and you plunge in the ocean and you're playing in the water. If you can swim, I cannot swim. So this has never happened to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm like in three feet. 
so I'm not going to drift, all right? <laughs> so we get in the ocean, and you're playing, and you're swimming around, and, and you leave your stuff on the shore, and, and you leave your friends, and they all wave, and they see you, they're taking pictures, and you just begin to swim, and all of a sudden, the current comes, and you open your eyes, and you, you look, and you're looking for your stuff. You're looking for your friends. You're like, man, where did they go? And what has happened? You've slowly went astray. You slowly drifted from where you were. And you did that without even knowing. And there's some of you, there's some of us here today, you have drifted, you have went astray from God slowly. And you opened up your eyes and you're like, man, how did I get here? I used to really love the Lord. When I first got saved, I used to be on fire for him. I used to tell everybody about him. But somewhere in between, we stopped communing with God deeply, and we stopped communing with God's people. What does scripture say? He says, look at this. I want to get the wording right. But exhort one another every day. Do you see that? Exhort one another, encourage one another every day. That shows us how slippery our hearts are. That shows me how broken I am. I need God's people encouraging my heart consistently. Or I am prone to wonder. You know? You're like, man, my, my, my life right now with Christ is just horrible. It really sucks. I'm just struggling. This Christian thing, really, I'm not sure if it's working. I'm kind of like right on the edge, you know? I'm like 50% here, 50% there. And I'm telling you that what you are missing is that deep connection. And what you are longing for in your heart is deep connection. And God said, I will satisfy that connection by giving you myself and by giving you my people. The gospel, the gospel calls us as the people of God to be in each other's lives, to model our lives after this triune God, to dance together. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day is drawing near. Like, he, he says the same thing here, don't neglect to meet together. See, we've, as Christians, we've taken on the world's meaning of membership. Me and the pastors, we were talking about this yesterday. We've taken on the world's me meaning of membership. How many of you got a membership to, like, Sam's Club? Anybody? Just two people? All right, right? And what does it mean to be a member of, of Sam's Club? It means you pay an annual fee, you go in, and you get to buy in bulk. And you get to choose whatever you want, and you get to come when you want to, and if they don't have what you want, you get to complain and be upset. You are a consumer when you walk into Sam's Club. That's the same way we view the church. 
When we say I'm a member of church, we say that means I get to pay an annual fee. I get to come in and leave when I want to. I don't have to establish any meaningful and deep relationships. Everything is on my terms. If they aren't producing the product that I want and that I like, if he's not hooping like the guy down the street, if they're not doing this creative stuff like the other churches, then I can remove my membership and go somewhere else. That is not Christianity in the Bible. Christianity in the Bible is not self-serving. In fact, we are not members, we are participants, we are partners. When we join the body of Christ and we join a church, we, becomes, we become partners. And that's one of the dangers of the church. And that's why the, the American church, and I can just talk about the American church because I'm in the American church, that's why we are suffering so bad. We see church as a, as a place and a thing where we come and we hear the pastor preach to us. And we choose to apply to our life what's convenient and what's comfortable. And we choose to develop relationships with people if we like them or if they look like us, or if they can benefit us. And we come and we leave and we have these shallow relationships with each other. And then we go home and we maybe will pick up our Bible once a week, twice a week if we're lucky. We're having a good day if we listen to a gospel CD or gospel song. And we say, man, I'm saved. That's what it means to be in the body of Christ. No. The Bible says that when you become saved, the Holy Spirit pours love into your heart. And the Bible says that you become a member, a, per, a partner, a participator in, in the body. You become a co-worker, a co-laborer. There's no such thing as the clergyman, the pastor is supposed to do this and the pastor is supposed to do that. No, the Bible says that you are to feed yourselves and to feed each other. Romans chapter 15, 14, Paul says, I am satisfied with you, my brothers. Because you are able to counsel one another. You are able to counsel one another. He said you're able to get in each other's hearts and see what the other person isn't believing and not condemn each other. Not, not be legalistic and turn on, no, at least I'm better than them. No, but to love them. To reach out your hands and to love them and say, you know what, I'm messy too. I fall short too. That's what both verses says, meet together daily, and both of them says encourage each other. It didn't say beat each other up over the head, but it says encourage each other. And how do we encourage each other? We encourage each other, each other with the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus. It is the message that Jesus is our great high priest, and he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness, and he has come to take our sin as his, and he died the death that we deserve in order that we can live free from burdens and free from guilt and condemnation. And that my performance is not what makes me acceptable before God, but it's his performance. It's what he has done. It's who he is. And that this God who has lavished his grace upon us, this God who lavishes mercy upon us, this God who allows grace and mercy to follow us every day, who allows grace and mercy to kiss. This is God who loves us deeply. Some of us, we fear community. 
We fear transparency. You know that there is no secrets between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Maybe there was one. It's when Jesus told the disciples and the Pharisees, no one knows when the Father, when the Son is going to return. That was because he, he chose not to tap into his divinity. But there's complete transparency, just like it was with Adam and Eve. But, but we fear being transparent with each other. Because we don't want people to know our struggle. We don't want them to know our pain. Why? Because we want them to think that we have it together. Well, I, let me be the first to admit at Forest Baptist Church, I don't have it together. That's why I will never, you will never find me on a reality TV show. But it's amazing how we watch reality TV shows and we want to see everybody else's mess, but then we don't want to share our mess with our brothers and sisters in Christ. God has created us for a deep connection and that, that connection is fulfilled with the triune God and with his people. I, I would... I, I, I just can't have people over my house. My apartment is small. My house is small. I don't have a lot. Listen, we're thinking according to the world standards and the world ways. We're allowing the world to shape our identity. Your identity is not in what you have. It's not in your ability to speak proper English. It's not in your education. Your identity is in Christ. The Bible says, 1 John says, perfect love casts out all fear. What does that mean? It means that when we understand that we are perfectly loved by God the Father because of Christ, when we, when we understand that, he says, these, these little fears about being transparent and, and sharing our lives with each other and having people over to get to know them, to pray and to eat and to break bread, to sing together, says that that's going to be cast out. See, some of you, every morning when you wake up, you are in chains. You are in chains. You are in bondage to fear. When you're getting dressed, you're thinking about so hard what you're going to wear because you want everyone to think that you're, you're good-looking or you're cute. When you get into your car, depending on what type of car you get into, you're, you're, you're afraid. What if, what, if, what if someone sees me drive up to work in my hoopty in my second car? You're in fear. What if sister so-and-so, what if she knows that I have an anger problem? What if, what if brother so-and-so knows that I'm, I'm really struggling as a husband? What if such and such knows that, that I'm really not a good parent? I'm not a good mother. I'm not a good father. We're in fear. The gospel frees us from that fear. We understand that God accepts us and loves us in Christ just the way we are. And that we are not on the witness stand every day waiting on a verdict from people around us. But that the verdict that we have received is one that was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was nailed to the cross, and it is one that says, not guilty. It is one that says, if the whole world is against you, I am for you. That's the freedom of being in Christ. 
the freedom of dancing with this triune community. So what do I do with this sermon? Where do I go from here? I want to encourage you to take the mask off. I want to encourage you not to find your identity and your relationships in social media. Not to, not to live to see if someone likes a post or a picture. But to live knowing that God loves you and that he wants to use you to heal people in your pew. You don't know Greek, you don't know Hebrew, great. I really don't know it either. But you know what? Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says that the, the, the apostles, they were uneducated men who had been with Jesus. And you may not have a grand testimony and be able to say all this, but you can tell people what Jesus has done for you. And you can tell them how you're still a work in progress. And you can fulfill James chapter 5 by confessing your sin to them and allowing them to hold you accountable. Some of you need to start at home with your spouse who is a professing Christian. And you need to say, our lives need to model this triune God. We need to be transparent. We need to, we need to confess sin. Some of us today, that's the conversation we need to have with our spouse. The Holy Spirit has poured love into my heart. Am I loving you? Are you loving me? We need to pray together. For some, that means that we need to start attending small groups. As a church, we do a, a fairly decent job on Sunday school. Um, have about 45% of the church come out and who's a part of a small group. Um, that's a fairly good job, right? No, it's not. If Patino says, you know, we have 45% of our players show up to practice yesterday. Like, man, what is going on with that team? Some of us, maybe that's the place to start. To start in small groups, because you can just hide on Sunday morning. Come in and come out and do your own thing and be that individual. No, you are, we are many, but we are one. The Bible, when it talks about the body of Christ, it uses the same kind of language that it talks about when it talks about the Trinity. There's three in one. There's many in the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, Romans chapter 12, but we are one body. Some of us, that's, that's what it means. It means coming on Wednesday nights where there's a smaller crowd, a crowd of about 50 people. Some of us, it means just starting to build relationships with those who maybe you sit by or you talk to. Maybe that's having coffee with them or having them over to eat and just letting them know, I need someone in my life digging in my heart, encouraging me so that I won't go astray. How many of, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have actually, have ever invited a church member over? Not a family member, that's a church member. Like we fellowship all the time. But how many of you actually like, have invited church members over to your house to eat with them and to pray with them, to share war stories, to share your dreams and your fears, and to think about Christ and talk about Christ together? Like, that's not super Christianity. That's, that's supposed to be normal Christianity. 
That's normal Christianity. I just showed you Hebrews 3, Hebrews 10, Acts chapter 2. That was the life of the early church. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus was to say to you, follow me, would you be able to follow him on the terms that he laid out in Scripture? When he said, follow me to the disciples, they quit their jobs. They gave up their livelihoods. They rearranged their relationships. Is what Jesus is asking from you, is it too demanding? Jesus has invited us into a new family, a new humanity. When Jesus is... Family came to him one day, he was teaching, and they were bugging him like, yo, come outside, we need to take you home. They were saying he's lost his mind, he's spending too much time with these people, too much time in ministry. It don't take all that. He said, you go tell my mother, you go tell my siblings that my family is those who do the will of God. Which means that the body of Christ has precedence over my biological family. Because we've got something in common, something more in common than I can ever have with someone who don't know Jesus. He said, I was born in sin. I was headed to hell. That Jesus came and gave me life. And gave me purpose. So what are you going to do with this message? Is next Sunday going to look like this Sunday? Is next month going to look like this month? Are we going to settle for shadow relationships? Or are we going to respond? Are we going to respond? I'm going to read with a quick reading from John chapter 20, just like we did last week and we'll be doing for the next few weeks in this series. John chapter 20. John chapter 17, I'm sorry, verse 20. Listen to what Jesus said as he was praying. Verse 21. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Look at that invitation to be a part of the triune God and to be one with each other. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Like, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, they are longing for community. And when they hear you talking about your church family and how you have dinner with them and how you eat together and have coffee, how you guys hold each other accountable and pray for each other, they're going to be thirsty for that. Jesus said, you shall know my disciples by the love that they have for one another. How can we love each other if we don't know each other? How can we love each other if we don't know each other's weaknesses? If we don't know each other's burdens? How can we bear each other's burdens if we don't know if our neighbor has a burden? This morning, I 
was talking to a member that I've talked to hundreds of times, and, and this person shared with me a burden. But then share with me how Jesus has helped them get over that burden, a burden that they've been living with for a long time. Begin to cry. That encouraged me. But it also showed me like, man, I need to, I need to think of ways I can love this person. And what's our motivation? Tell me what this is a picture of. What is that a picture of? Say it loud. Say it loud. It's a cross and I'm proud. All right. That is actually not a picture of a a man-made cross or a picture. That is a picture of the Whirlpool Galaxy, which is the galaxy right next to ours, that was taken by the Hubble Telescope in 1994. Coincidence? Let's pray. Father, teach us to live in awe of you, to believe that you know what's best for us, to accept the way that you've called us to live in community with you and in community with each other, to see that all of creation is screaming your name and is screaming the cross of Christ. And it's screaming the resurrection of Jesus. And it's screaming at us that we too can be raised when we walk closely with you and walk closely with each other from whatever it is that's burying us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Teach us to love one another. To give each other grace. To not pick at each other over silly things, but to be on mission. In Jesus' name, amen.